Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual word of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art of the pod. Let's crack on with it. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. It's actually, I'm quite pleased to say, eased down a bit in the last week. The timing couldn't have been more perfect, as I've been off the scale busy at work. So, the usual mix of sanctions, money laundering, a couple of bits of fraud, cyber and bribery, just for good measure. So, let's move on. Start with sanctions. First to Australia, where Alexander Abramov, the billionaire Russian oligarch, is fighting the sanctions imposed on him by the Australian authorities. His legal representatives have told the Federal Court of Australia that not only have mistakes been made in his designation, but he is not an oligarch. He's merely a rich bloke with no influence over Putin or the Russian government. The case continues. Sticking with oligarchs, or alleged oligarchs, we turn to South Africa where the authorities have offered sanctioned billionaire Alexei Mordashov the opportunity to moor his superyacht. The yacht has been on something of a world tour since the announcement of sanctions followed by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The South African government is on record as saying that they're under no obligation to enforce sanctions imposed by the, U- uh, the UK, the EU or the United States. So it looks like the Nord, which has all the usual super yacht bells and whistles, will dock later this month or early next. It's suggested in the media that Mordashov is not aboard, but in Moscow. To the UK now, where the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation has issued a guidance note for the annual Frozen Asset Reporting Exercise 2022. HM Treasury undertakes the Frozen Asset Reporting Exercise each year, which seeks to track changes to accounts during the reporting period. All persons holding or controlling funds or economic resources belonging to a designated person should complete the reporting form and submit it to the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation by Armistice Day 2022, that is Friday the 11th of November. Link to the guidance and the Excel spreadsheet provided on which to submit the report is in the podcast description. Sticking with the United Kingdom, the Office for Sanctions, uh, Financial Sanctions Implementation has also issued a couple of licenses allowing the grant of certain loans to Saving Energy for Europe, GmbH, otherwise known as Gazprom Germania, and its subsidiaries including SEFE Marketing and Training Limited and SEFE Energy Limited. The licence takes effect at one minute to midnight on the 28th of October 2022 and expires on the 29th of October 2023. The second is a seven-day wind-down licence which will allow the granting of Category 5 loans until one minute to midnight on the 5th of November. The link is in the podcast description, but fair warning, one of the links is a dead link off C has also issued a general licence relating to legal fees, which allows payments to be made or received received relating to legal fees subject to conditions. Link is in the podcast description. Across the Atlantic now, where the United States Treasury has targeted those Russians seeking to corruptly influence political processes in Moldova. 
The Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, announced sanctions on nine individuals and 12 entities which it's identified as being involved. The US Embassy report provides... The individuals and entities sanctioned today include oligarchs widely recognized for capturing and corrupting Moldova's political and economic institutions and those acting as instruments of Russia's global influence campaign, which seeks to manipulate the United States and its allies and partners, including Moldova and Ukraine. The designations include former Moldovan government official Vladimir Plohotnik, who engaged in state capture by exerting control over and manipulating key sectors of Moldova's government, including the law enforcement, electoral and judicial sectors. The link to the document on the US Embassy in Moldova website is in the podcast description. We end this week by boomeranging back across the Atlantic to the Netherlands, where some sanctions have been lifted. Several news wires report that, according to the Dutch Ministry of Infrastructure and Water Resources, some 34 Russian ships carrying food and aluminium, among other things, were permitted to dock and offload at Dutch ports. Additionally, the Ministry of Economy and Climate issued 25 permits to Dutch companies to work with former Gazprom companies taken over by the German company SEFE Energy. Seems a bit of coordination there, given what I've just said about the UK. Other exemptions were issued for various humanitarian, diplomatic and other reasons. That's it for sanctions this week. Now we turn our focus to money laundering. The European Commission has published guidance on using a public-private partnership, PPP, effectively to prevent money laundering and terrorist financing. The Commission notes how PPPs have developed in recent years to exchange operational information or even strategic information, such as trends in criminal activities and money laundering. The guidance aims to improve stakeholders' general understanding of what PPPs are and to encourage, where possible, their role in the effective fight against money laundering and terrorist financing. The document provides guidance on the main featured features and the associated opportunities, specific legal considerations, as well as observed best practice of PPPs. Additionally, the Commission has also adopted the Supranational Risk Assessment Report to help member states identify and address money laundering and terrorist financing risks. The report shows that whilst most recommendations of the previous assessments, the last such date being 2019, have already been implemented, It underlines the fact that weaknesses in identifying beneficial ownership, which are being addressed globally at the moment, continue to remain a considerable threat to the financial system, as anonymity remains a critical vulnerability for all sectors and activities. The report also recalculates the risk levels of certain areas where changes have been detected since 2019. For example, crypto assets, which of course are on the policy agenda just about everywhere, and online gambling, where risks are now higher. The latter points, particularly, I flagged in various issues of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. There have been efforts across the globe to bring the online and 
standard gambling areas to task, particularly in the US, the UK and, as I reported a couple of weeks ago, Australia. The links to the announcements by the European Commission are in the podcast description. Now to the Financial Action Task Force, where its Paris plenary took place over two days on the 20th and 21st of October. On the agenda were the blacklist, the grey list, restrictions on Russia's FATF membership and a whole host more. Insofar as blacklist additions are concerned, Myanmar now finds itself on it. For its part, Myanmar is not too concerned and remains uh, committed to addressing what were described as the strategic deficiencies in its 2018 mutual evaluation review. It is broadly Myanmar's lack of progress which has resulted in this outcome. To the grey list were added the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Mozambique and Tanzania. Pakistan and Nicaragua were removed from the grey list which will doubtless please particularly the Pakistanis given their efforts in this area. Uh, as to Russia, well, it was suspended from the FATF following the invasion of Ukraine. The FATF has further announced restrictions at the plenary. Russia is barred from current and future FATF project teams and is excluded from meetings of the FATF-style regional bodies. These are in addition to the restrictions which are already in place. There is much more, and you can find that in the link which is in the podcast description. Sticking with the FATF, it has also announced that it plans to conduct a review of Recommendation 25 and its interpretive note on the transparency and beneficial ownership of legal arrangements and to update its guidance on beneficial ownership under Recommendation 24. Links to the consultations relating to this and the documents allied are in the podcast description. Now, news concerning the Danish bank, Dansk Bank, which is about to be hit with fines of almost 2 billion US dollars. The fines, part of an investigation by the US Department of Justice, the Securities and Exchange Commission and Danish authorities, follows the bank's involvement in a money laundering scheme involving payments which appear to have been funneled through Estonia. There'll likely be more on this story next week. In related anti-money laundering fines news, the French Financial Crime Agency has reached agreement with Credit Suisse following a money laundering investigation. Uh, the investigation, which began in 2016 when it suspected that Credit Suisse was involved in certain assisted tax avoidance and the harbouring of undeclared untaxed foreign bank accounts. Credit Suisse will cough up 238 million euros for its behaviour. To fraud news now, where it's been announced that a cryptocurrency trading firm has been wound up by the High Court. The firm PGI Global UK Limited was promising unrealistic returns on cryptocurrency investments, which, of course, never materialised. Remember, as I've said many times before, almost until I'm blue in the mouth. If anything looks too good to be true, it almost certainly is too good to be true. The winding up was part of a wider scheme involving the parent company and its troubles with the US authorities. The link to the story 
is in the podcast description. Away from fraud and to cyber, a significant cyber story this week concerns InterServe, which provides services to the UK government. It's been fined £4.4 million by the Information Commissioner's Office in the United Kingdom for its failure to stop a cyber attack in 2020, which resulted in the personal information of some 113,000 people being stolen. The cyber attack came from employee error when a phishing email was clicked upon. The issue was particularly acute since they did not investigate an auto-generated antivirus alert and operated outdated systems and inadequate staff training. John Edwards, the United Kingdom UK, as I was sorry, the United Kingdom Information Commissioner, said the biggest cyber risk businesses face is not from hackers outside of their company, but from complacency within their company. If your business doesn't regularly monitor for suspicious activity in its systems and fails to act on warnings or doesn't update software and fails to provide training to staff, you can expect a similar fine from my office. So get your compliance house in order. The link to the Information Commissioner's Office note on the fine is in the podcast description. In very much related news in London this week, the new Cyber Resilience Centre has been launched in collaboration with the Metropolitan Police, the City of London Police and the British Transport Police, which aims to help small and medium businesses in London reduce their vulnerability to the most common types of cybercrime. Typically, smaller and medium-sized businesses can find investment in specialist cybercrime prevention measures and also cyber insurance prohibitively expensive in a marketplace of rising premiums. The link to this announcement, which should provide some valuable support to SMEs, is in the podcast description. And finally this week, we end with a bribery story, not necessarily a new bribery event, but the continued fallout from the bribery scandal concerning Glencore. It's been announced this week that the Serious Fraud Office could look at possible charges against 11 Glencore employees. Staff have been implicated in the uh, Commodities Corporation, or certainly how the Commodities Corporation paid the bribes for which it faced action. As to the corporation, the US has settled its claims, but the UK deal has yet to be agreed, but more is expected on that at the beginning of November. It's expected that the Serious Fraud Office will make a decision on the individual charges by April 2023. That's it for a wonderfully, appropriately sized Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well, next Sunday with your usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a genuinely great week, everyone. 